0: Welcome to the interview show. This is Scott Wood, your host. I am sitting in a backstage area of the Imperial, which is a club in Vancouver, with one of the members of a band whose name I'm afraid to talk about. But I'd love you, Mr. Band member, who just finished a big, delicious pickle, to introduce yourself.
1: Hey, how's it going? I'm Josh from, I mean, can you say this, Starfucker? Is it going to be on the radio or is it going to be on a podcast? Well, that's what I'm going to address. Yeah, well, I say STRFKR for the radio and Starfucker. Or some people say Star-Effer, but yeah, I mean, it's Starfucker. It's just... I was going to say,
0: let's say you were in your hometown, Portland, on the local radio station. How would they talk about your band?
1: I don't know. Everyone does it differently. I think we try to tell people to say STRFKR. It's just... That's, what, you know, that's the kind of acronym we use right now, so it's... But a lot of people still do their own weird thing. Star Effer, Star Faker or whatever, which always sounds silly. The whole thing is silly though, so whatever, it's unavoidable silliness.
0: So for the podcast, I'm gonna say Starfucker, but for the radio show I'm gonna say S T R F K R. Or I think I like Star Effer. That works for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, whatever you like.
0: Alright, but what would you like, Josh?
1: Uh Starfucker was what I would like. <laughs> but I you know, there's rules in place against it I guess, so here we are. We were getting angry letters from parents, like, ripping down our signs and stuff for a show, so this is why we had to... And, like, angry emails written to venues who were putting our full name up on. That's why we, like, switched to the abbreviated version. It's 2017, and that's still an issue? Yeah, you're telling me, man. There's a lot of stuff I feel that way about, though, so... I can't believe the political state of my country right now, that a lot of things are still an issue in this, at this point in time, so... But here we are in the weirdo world. All right. Well, I'm glad
0: that at least we figured out how to say the name. (laughs) First, I want to ask, how was that pickle?
1: It was okay. I'm not a pickle guy. I just needed a snack and it was there. So, you know, I don't know. Pickles are all right.
0: When I met you, there was a table with a spread and there was a lot of stuff on that spread. And I said, Josh, this might be a longer interview. So you may want to take more than just a pickle. And you said, no. Why?
1: I don't know. I'm not hungry yet. I'm going to go... I want to save my hunger for something. I'm in Vancouver. There's lots of good restaurants in this neighborhood. I want to save it for something worthy, you know? Some Chinese food or something. The uh, club... The guys running the club seems to have some good suggestions. So
0: So how about we play a track I'm gonna play Open Your Eyes, off your record, Being No One and Going Nowhere. I'd love you to describe this song as if you were talking to somebody who'd never heard of your band before.
1: Well, it's a song off the newest record, and it's actually kind of an old song that I re-dug out of my little collections of demos and added more to it and finished it up, and uh, yeah, I think it's became, ended up being one of the I don't know, more popular songs on the new album. And uh, there's a pretty great video for it that some friends did about aliens trying to take over the world. And uh, it was filmed at our house in Joshua Tree where I wrote an the album and out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. So, yeah, take a
2: listen.
0: Wood your host you just heard the track open your eyes off the record being no one going nowhere I'm sitting here in a back room of the Imperial Lounge with Josh from the band SDRFKR, FKR
1: otherwise known as
0: Starfucker so Josh tell me a little bit more about this track
1: uh, yeah I don't know it's uh just like most of the album is all recorded and wrote you know written in this uh that place in Joshua Tree and uh I don't know
0: well, then I have a follow-up question if you're ready. Sure.
1: Okay, so
0: you wrote a new record and you've said this song is an older one that you took and reworked. Can you tell me the composition of the album, old songs you reworked compared to new stuff you've made along
1: the way? Most of the album is new. There's, that's probably the only song that is that old that I kind of stopped, picked up and, and finished up. But uh, yeah, most of the album was written in the last year. There's like, you know, I... I was, been working on an album for Starfucker for like three years, and uh, I got kind of deep into two other albums, and then at some point just decided it wasn't the right direction and trashed it, so this album is mostly, um, you know, kind of stuff that I wrote at the end there the last year, so, but um, those other albums that I have, I'll probably finish up and put out under a different name, but just kind of, I didn't think they were the right vibe for Starfucker, so. So that old track
0: that later became Open Your Eyes, what made you go back to that one?
1: Uh, I don't know. I just liked the feel of it. It used to be even kind of more of a dancey... Yeah, it used to be even more of a dancey, just kind of clubby song I was writing to... uh, Yeah, mostly with live show in mind. And that's pretty much what this whole album I was trying to focus on is like making an album that would translate into the, you know, being conducive to our live show. So... I think that's probably why I picked it up and redid it, and uh, it just needed another part to it. I still think it could use more, but I mean, was, it's fine. It was just like basically two parts before, and then now it has a third section that I wrote going in for it, and um, yeah, I mean it works for the album pretty well. So. Was that song always in your head, thinking, I need to pick it up, I need to finish
0: it, there's something there? Or did you come across it again one day while going through your hard drive? How'd this all happen?
1: yeah i don't know i mean different people write differently i think for me i definitely my style of writing is like uh just kind of messing around like discovery like i just mess with sounds or mess with a beat or a loop or something until i find something i like and then just build on it and so i do a lot of like you know i have like tons of demos and just little little sections that are just like one loop or something and then so yeah i Maybe we will go back and go through my computer and listen to all that old stuff. And that's exactly what that song is like. Go listen to all these demos, and there's all these songs I forgot about. I'm like, oh, actually, I hated this one when I wrote it, but now I really like it, so now I'll finish it and put some more work into it.
0: Since we're talking about the record, Being No One, Going Nowhere, you said about this record that it was inspired by two things. One thing was a book of the same title written by a first-time Western Buddhist nun. So let's start there.
1: Well, just the title is inspired by her it's not it's not the exact same title but it's hers is being no one uh being nothing going nowhere is, is the title of her book and, um it's changed it a little bit but yeah it's um i really like the idea in Buddhist philosophy the idea of uh, just that existing is enough and that being human is enough and not needing to like become it's like totally opposite of our kind of capitalist world that we live in it's just that uh that this is enough, that existing is good enough. And then, um, I mean, my experience is that a lot of the best parts of life are just little things, just eating and whatever, being present with that stuff and, you know, being with friends and just tiny little moments, not any big, not like graduating school or like even finishing an album. It's like those things can actually be really stressful or really fun depending on, you know, my relationship with time. But so a lot of the nicest you know I don't know I just think that's a really wise kind of mantra to have being like to have that uh we're almost always taught that we need to be something like make something of yourself and uh really like the the feel of the total opposite of actually like um the virtue of of not trying to be something special and um I don't know I kind of even like how that title it sounds a little bit dark or something but it's um when you don't think of that context for it but uh but uh, yeah, yeah, and I also I read, I've you know I've done some meditation retreats, and I read one of, I, didn't, I haven't actually read that book by her, but I read her autobiography, and I really thought she was a pretty inspiring person, and uh, and just seeing that title and the idea behind it was is really is really great, and I think it fit it fit the vibe of the album well too. It was like the title was a title that I was thinking about for a while, and just you know that. Ever since I'd done that retreat and and seen the title of her book, it stuck with me. And then uh, doing this album is a little bit darker and I wrote in the desert, which was like this kind of isolated, weird, big experience. And uh, it just it kind of fit this with the the vibe that I, that I for me anyway that I thought the album was going towards. So
0: yeah. So why was this author particularly inspiring?
1: Just her, you know, her story, her personal story is interesting. She grew up and escaped uh, the Nazis during World War II and moved to the West. And she ended up in the U.S. and had a family. And there was, like, an unhappy marriage and then was left that and was, like, traveling with her new family. And when it wasn't, like, the world wasn't set up for travel at the time. And she was just a really brave kind of pioneer. And just, you know, she's an interesting person. And it more, it's, it's just the you know the kind of ended up with her discovering buddhist meditation and um i think she became one of the first kind of western nuns or something like that and um it's just i relate to her 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 story like her her interest in meditation i relate to it and it was inspiring to me so you've said that
0: the title of the record was inspired by the sense of self and the lengths that we go to prop up and protect it. And I found that interesting because your job is standing on a stage and essentially projecting yourself out to a crowd.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's like why it's maybe even... I mean, most of the stuff that I write is mostly for me. It's like little reminders or notes for me. Like, there's songs where the lyrics are all just um, death talking to me, you know, and uh, that's like I have a lot of songs that are kind of that style, and then even so, the title is like that for me. It's like a reminder. It's more like a note for me. Like, and yeah, I think it's even more important for people like me, who's yeah, whose job it is to basically be engaged in a weird, ridiculous popularity contest to like remember that uh, that's not, you know, um, it's not what it seems. It's not so meaningful in that way, you know. And um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. so yeah it's a good it's a good reminder for me and it is like exactly weird because of that like what you're saying
0: so can you tell me about a small way that's changed the way you live your life
1: well i mean i used to have um crazy stage fright like i used to not be able to perform basically and then actually because of meditation i think that's what enabled me to even be able to do it just like i when i was younger i was, was traveling and i met this weird dude and i ended up doing this retreat and it's this 10 day silent retreat and uh whatever, but uh, it was really difficult and really powerful, and then just the experience that I had in that, like, translating that kind of, I don't know, strength into my, to the other parts of my life, like, I didn't even, you know, really realize at the time what had happened, but then, like, later on, it was just, like, I had this uh, ability to, like, go through difficult things with attention and not react to them not like live out of the fear like be able to like be like I really don't want to do this but I'm just going to do it anyway and just like because that's basically what happened the whole meditation I was just sitting there like I this is boring as fuck and my back hurts and I'm still going to just do it and like um, kind of grew this weird strength that I didn't know I had but anyway it also helped me change my relationship with that stuff and like becomes like why am I nervous and I still have this stuff and I still struggle with it but there's like tools to deal with it I think through that realm of thinking and practice for me and that's what I think is it's interesting to me because it's practical and not just like some kind of just a thought experiment like that's there too but it's also like really practical and really actually affects my daily life so like for me being able to perform has a lot to do with what i learned doing that experientially doing meditation and it also it's still today it's like something i still struggle with the like narcissism which i think is our like default setting i think uh yeah i don't know um i just think that's what we're mostly working against is we're all like so concerned with ourselves and we have to like put a little bit of effort into like think of other people and like that i mean it helps and uh everyone's a you know different degrees of that but anyway for for me like playing shows now it's like helpful for me to think about the crowd and what kind of time they're having and what i can do to make that better rather than just myself and like what's happening to me because um that's pretty much what stage fright is is just embarrassment like blown up really big and um just sitting up there like freaking out or whatever and then it takes a little bit of the freak out away when I'm like but this isn't even about me like I don't even want to play I would never play these songs again ever because I've played them like hundreds of times so I'm like not here for me I'm here for them and that uh, it just It just and it's a selfish it's ultimately it is still a selfish kind of motivation because it makes me be able to do that easy. it makes my job easier it makes me uh, less embarrassed when I'm like can think of other people that are there and what, what what's going on with them over my own experience of it so I don't know there's more to it but that's just whatever that's one aspect of how it's useful you know and um, yeah
0: Josh I appreciate all that I think that it's time to play another track I'm gonna play the track Never Ever Off the Record Being No One Going Nowhere I'd love you to tell me a little bit about this song before we hear it
1: this song was really this song was pretty much totally inspired by this experience I had at a BDSM club in LA I just I just it's not totally my thing or whatever. It was not like um but I mean I just had a it was just a weird way that I ended up there. A friend from Europe was visiting and he had some friends and they were going there it was like Valentine's Day and so I was like, Yeah, I'll go. But then when I was there, when I got there, um it was such a cool experience what uh, what happened was just this huge group a really diverse group of people like all different ages um, like really old and really young and sexy and like people that look like my grandparents and everything in between and gay and straight and transgender and like I don't know it was just like a really healthy group okay
0: okay okay we've talked a lot before people have heard a second song okay, even sure. so let's hear let's hear the song and then we'll talk more about it because you know what Josh I had planned to ask you all about this okay
1: <laughs> let's hear it we
0: This is Scott Wood, your host. You just heard the track, Never Ever, by a band called... Starfucker, I think. Or... STRFKR. And that was Josh, educating me on the name. Never Ever, off the record, being no one, going nowhere. Now, earlier in the interview, I was talking about how the current record was influenced... Or inspired by two things. One of them was a book by the first Western Buddhist nun. The second thing, as Josh just admitted, was by when he went to a BDSM club on Valentine's Day. So first, Josh, I want you to set the scene.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to go back to where it was. Yeah, it's a uh... so yeah. I'd never done something like that before, and. Uh... Obviously open to it, my friend invited me. Ended up there and uh, didn't know what to expect. And I'm sure a lot of people have not actually been to one and have thought about it, so they're going to be like, Josh, tell me yeah.
0: what I can expect.
1: Yeah, I was really surprised by the diversity first of all and uh, the openness. Like it felt so non-judgmental, which was a really cool experience. And it was social. Like I've never had a social sexual situation like this that felt really healthy. Like there was like strict boundaries. There was no alcohol and no Like penetrative sex, I guess, was the two rules that this club had, and um, but they, you know, they were also a community. Like a lot of these people knew each other already, and they just like have other parties and stuff. This was just like a big one because it was Valentine's Day, and uh, but they were super open and down to like like there's a little kitchen in the back, and people were talking and telling their experiences about um, why they do it, what like what's great about it for them. Anyway, for me, just having grown up in like a repressed whatever western society and i grew up catholic and uh like i have i've already done a lot of ideas like in my own mind unpacking of like the bullshit that i was taught but but to have the experience it's, it's the same as like, like reading a book on meditation versus like sitting down and actually meditating for 10 days in a silent retreat like you it's totally you know and now it's like for going for me going to that club and actually having an experience and being with these people i left it's like totally high and just like so felt so inspired i was like Uh, It was it was totally cathartic for me. It was like an actual experience of the ideas that I've come, you know, that I had. Like after unpacking, it's kind of a lifelong process of unpacking and and repacking, you know, my sexual ideas. And uh, but that was just such a a great experience for me. And um, yeah, I don't know. I was I was just so inspired by that. I had no idea that I even needed that or could experience that kind of catharsis through something like that. And well, I wasn't even really engaging. I was just like talking to people and watching, but even just being there and not feeling embarrassed to be there to watch these things and, uh, and just going through whatever, you know, there's so much shame around sex in our culture. And, uh, even if you don't grow up Catholic, it's just, it's in our culture. Like it's, it's in your face you used to sell things, but it's also like this weird fucked up thing where it's like, don't, but don't do it. Don't explore it. Don't like, so it's a, it's a strange thing. So for me, it was really powerful. And it's kind of, I don't know. It was, it was a neat thing to to like have a, a social experience like that with people and to feel, yeah. So so it was felt so healthy and so lack of judgment was really really new for me and uh, it kind of even I guess with the name the being no one going nowhere it kind of tied into that for me because of the uh, there's a. Th- you know there's like a an ego shrinking i think that can happen in BDSM where you're just and you're just present and you're just there with nothing and nothing else is uh going on like if you you know actually engaging in it or something and you're tied up and uh i think everything can kind of disappear and it's yourself shrinks to this moment and it's it's similar to uh i mean anything can can be that so but i had you know that experience so it was yeah
0: you said earlier in the interview that that wasn't your scene, but would you go back?
1: Yeah, I actually did go back, and uh, I brought my girlfriend that time, and um, I was like, this is an amazing thing. We have to go. She was like out of town when I went, and uh, I got home and told her about it, but I was like, we have to go back. We have to see this. So, And I think we would go back, and I think there's more exploring to be done for me in that realm, but uh, yeah, it's not... I don't know. I don't know exactly what... Uh, that will look like, but just, there's still, there's more unpacking and more like trying uh, in these weirder realms. And, um, but you know, I'm a big, f- you know, I don't know. I'm a big fan of Dan Savage. I listen to his podcast a lot. And that's like, I mean, that helped me become more comfortable with who I am. And, um, I think he's really great for that. And, uh, I mean, I just, you know, there's, it's, it's just, so, it's, it's such a shame that sex is so often has so much, uh, you know shame to <laughs> do it it's just it's such a fundamental good part of what we are and what being a human is and uh you know just the full rainbow of that it just should be even i don't know yeah i just i could go on about that but i but these these are just my ideas and to have an experience in person like that was really nice in a social setting like that so
0: do you think that artists have a responsibility to push themselves outside of their comfort zones
1: i don't know i don't know what artists' responsibilities are, but
0: I mean, I've... I've do, you think, do you think you, Josh, as an yeah. artist, has a responsibility to push himself outside his comfort zone?
1: Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, just as a person, I do think that's something I value in one. I mean, I think it's, and along with the narcissism being our default setting, I think, as a, as a species, I also think that comfort is our default goal that we have to work against and fight against all the time, so... Um, it wasn't, yeah, like going to that wasn't comfortable, but that's always where good things happen is out of that, you know, when you're not trying to be comfortable. I mean, it's nice to sit home and watch Netflix sometimes too. There's nothing wrong with that, but, you know, I didn't, it's not often so inspiring of an experience. But
0: You can't watch Netflix every night. Exactly. Say an artist comes to you, they're thinking about exploring this type of realm. What would you say to him or her to make that first step?
1: I don't know. I mean, I I recommend the savage love podcast to a lot of people actually i mean even my dad you know listens to it and he grew up really re- in a really rep- repressed household but uh i think yeah there's, i mean we all have unpacking to do in there and we all have room to grow in that arena and yeah i don't know i would definitely recommend going to a club too i think that's a funny it's like i don't know it's a funny thing i that i've heard Sav- you know dan savage talk about it that uh in that group, there's actually like usually way more defined and healthy boundaries actually. And it seemed totally to be the case. And it was really, really comfortable, uh, surprisingly comfortable and and just such a cool vibe. I don't know. It's hard to explain. So yeah, I would definitely recommend that to somebody.
0: Yeah. Did you have to psych yourself up to go? You seem a little tightly wound sometimes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I am. I mean, you know, no, I don't know. There's just, I was just like, whatever, I'm going to, I want to do something. So it's just, it's just like I have moods. I'm like, Introvert and weird sometimes and then I can just like have a mood where I just go out and um, we'll try whatever like even doing that 10 day retreat was just like a weird thing I was like oh right, yeah I'll just go sign up for a fucking 10 day silent retreat that I don't know anything about it's kind of the same thing about going to this club but
0: yeah alright I think that it's time to play another track I'm gonna play While I'm Alive that's off the Miracle Mile record so I'd love you to tell me a little bit about this song before
1: we hear it um yeah that Sean has a ta- that song was written basically on, based on Sean's tattoo Sean's a bass player who's not here but he's uh, yeah and it was just, I like the idea of uh, like for
0: people who don't know describe Sean in a sentence
1: <laughs> I don't know <laughs> he's uh, I don't know he's a really important part of this project and never we wouldn't you know I mean even though I'm the main songwriter the other Sean and Keel who are the other guys in this band that have been with me since the beginning like it wouldn't couldn't exist without them and it's very much, I don't know, there's a lot that they have.
0: Josh, I have to rephrase then. Yeah. Describe your friend Sean to someone <laughs> who wants to know what he's like.
1: <laughs> he's, uh, I don't know, he's, he's like the dad of the group, kind of. <laughs> he's really into disc golf, which is a funny rising sport. We have some fans that are really into it too, which is really funny, it's such a strange...
0: That sounds very dad-like.
1: Yeah, totally. I'm good at that. He's a I hope he's a dad someday. It'll be a good dad. Yeah. So
0: we're gonna hear the song while I'm alive. So why don't you tell me what his tattoo looks like, and then we'll hear the track.
1: Uh, his tattoo just it says "Live while you're alive," and uh, that's that's where the, that's where the name came from. Last
2: night. Oh.
0: to the interview show. This is Scott Wood, your host. You just heard the track While I'm Alive off the record Miracle Mile by a band called S-T-R-F-K-R or Star Effer or even Starfucker. And I'm talking to Josh from the band. We were just talking about the song but I'd like to hear a little bit more. How did this band member's tattoo inspire the track?
1: Well, a lot of the songs on that album and actually both the album that album Miracle Mile and the album Before It Reptilians are both kind of written uh in this period where i was really into thinking about death and how that changes you know in a relationship with how you can engage with life when like thinking about death almost too much um and the fact that we we're going to die so like i mean that tattoo it's pretty self-explanatory but uh um yeah it's just you know like i said a lot of my songs too are kind of like mental post-it notes to myself like things that i want to like remember to like and even that song it's like I'll be on stage singing it for the fucking hundredth time on a tour or something I'm just like oh well you know there I could like I actually am kind of checking out right now a little bit it's like brings a little bit of awareness to myself I'm like oh I could engage like be here be with this this is like this is life right now instead of like whatever worrying about not being able to hear my guitar or something you know what I mean whatever it is but um yeah, I don't know. And the video for that song is one of my favorite videos that anyone's done for us. Is uh, that one? I think they did a really good job of capturing the like idea behind the song. And it's like this old guy kind of going back and forth between you know being young and and dancing and old, being old and near death. And uh, I don't know. I think it's a cool mental practice to to like engage in everyone's so thoughts thinking about, i used to work taking care of old and dying people before this band and so uh i don't know it's a lot of probably why the first few albums are focused on that kind of stuff it's just like really seeing the reality of our situation it's like oh, if i'm lucky then i'll grow old and have a really shitty time <laughs> it seems like and that's if i'm lucky enough to live that long so uh but it did something i think it like i said it made me be able to realize that, it pre- that the little things like it's not about the big things it's about the little things a little like walking spending time with somebody drinking eating something all the little like being able to move freely being able to go to the bathroom by myself like all these things you know that are uh, yeah those are the good things
0: they definitely are i have a friend who used to work in an old folks home and he used to tell me the strangest stories do you have one you can share
1: with me i mean yeah yeah i don't know i i didn't i didn't i didn't work in a home i i like went to people's homes i was like a hired you know home caregiver and uh i didn't really have any experience with it i just kind of got ended up randomly into it but uh i loved it man like every people every like there's you know sometimes there's couples or just one person or something that i was working with and they're all really it was really amazing working with them in different ways but one of i don't know my favorite i don't know i don't have I have a couple favorites, but one of my favorites was this woman, Joanne, who, uh, she was kind of, like, a fabulous Bel-Air lady, and she had, like, dementia, but it was, like, her, like, memory was on, like, a short, like, couple minute, two to five minute loop or something, and, uh, but she's really fucking funny, and just, like, the total type of person who would have been, like, an artist and a free spirit was just born in this weird time where she was repressed and felt like she had to get married super young so that she could, even be sexual and all stuff. But she was just like, that's not who she was. She would have been such, she was a really wild person. And then you kind of see that when people get old, like different parts of them come out or whatever. And that was something that I, I loved hanging out with her. She was fucking crazy in a great way. She would just say crazy shit to people. If she thought a guy was attractive, she'd just be like hitting on her doctor, hitting on whoever. And she was really fun. Like I felt like we were actually friends. Like I would just take, I'd basically just go and get her and take her and, you know, have the same conversation over and over again, but just like do fun things with her or whatever. And, um, trying to, one time she, she told this, it's not really, I mean, it's funny to me, it's not funny to them, I'm sure. There's like a baby sleeping, like a Bjorn or something on his parents' back. And I don't know why she thought it was funny, but she's like, I think your baby's dead to the parents. And they were just like, they didn't know, you know, they can't, you can't tell that she's like out of it. It takes like a few minutes of talking to her, and you're like, oh, okay, she's like, but so they just thought there was this, you know, normal-looking old lady saying that, and I was just like, "Oh, sorry, sorry, I had to go grab her." But it's it's it was funnier in the moment when it happened. And I'm not a good uh, teller of stories like this, but it was really fucking funny to me. So, Josh, let's just agree you have a eccentric <laughs> sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, no, it sounds it sounds
0: about right. So, I was reading up on you before this interview, and you've said it in a lot of interviews that your mom was a fag hag. For people who don't know, what's mm.
1: that? <laughs> just uh, pretty much all of her friends are gay men (laughs) and that's yeah i don't know that's uh i don't i don't really know what that means either she doesn't like it when i say that so i probably won't say it anymore but how would she describe herself (laughs) i don't know she's (laughs) she's a she's a funny lady she's awesome she's she's not like she's very just like out there and like no shame no she's not like me at all i get a lot up from my dad but uh but yeah, she's, she's awesome. I mean, she exposed me because of her and her friends. Like she exposed me to so much, uh, cool stuff that I wouldn't have, like, I mean, you know, I grew up going to like a cross-dressing club that her, like one of her best friends is Eliza Mnelli impersonator. And like even cross-dressing, you know, now is still a part of our show. And, uh, it's totally from that. It's totally from just growing up around that. Nice for my 21st birthday at that Darcells in Portland. It's like the longest running, whatever, cross-dressing club in the country. And, uh
0: reading it made me sort of imagine your life like one long episode of
1: absolutely fabulous (laughs) no i don't think that's like yeah i don't know i don't know what it's what it is for her but yeah i don't know she's just she kind of is like that like stereotypical gay man but like she's a woman so she's just like you know that's just how she is and so she attracts those kinds of people and yeah and my dad's, like, super shy, super introverted, and that's why they, like, found each other. I think they're, like, total opposites. And I'm a little bit like both of them, but more like my dad, I think, in that way. So I wish I had more of her, like, freedom to just be herself, you know, especially being a performer, it would be great. But, yeah, it is what it is, man.
0: So you've said a lot of times that the drag queen influences influence your cross-dressing on stage. I'd love you to tell me about some advice you got from these uncles that people wouldn't expect from a drag queen.
1: I don't know, man. I always just got support. Like, they were always just, like, proud that I was doing that. And, um, just like, I, I mean, he'd always just be like, oh, Josh, you're doing your own makeup and all this stuff, you know? So, um, but we've, actually, you know, when we first started doing it, we had, like, friends do makeup. And so I probably learned some things from him, actually. I think he did our makeup a, a few times. So it was just like, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's just, you know, every time he sees me, he's just, you know, yeah. Basically, really supportive. and Yeah,
0: I don't know. Support is important for an artist and a young man.
1: Yeah, that's true. Definitely.
0: So I think it's time we listen to another track. I picked an old track. Can you guess which track I selected? I have no idea. I'm curious. Well, I selected Ronald Gregory Erickson the Second. Why do you think I chose that one?
1: It's probably the most popular song that I've written. What do you mean by popular? Uh... I know it's the one that still gets the most streams and most things, and it's been used like licensing people have used it and all that stuff. So I think it's probably one of the better songs that I've written. So. I don't know, and it's, I, it's named after one of my best friends, so I like that that happened with that song. So <laughs> yeah, nice. So let's listen to it.
0: back To the interview show. This is Scott Wood, your host. You just heard the track Ronald Gregory Erickson II by a band called
1: Starfucker or mm-hmm. STRFKR or
0: Star Effer. I like Star Effer. That to me is the happy compromise, even though you've said to me you don't like it, which is okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. It's, it seems like radio people mostly say Star Effer instead of STRFKR. I guess it's a little easier on the tongue.
0: So, I'm backstage with Josh from that band. We just heard your most popular song, as you called it. I'd love you to tell me a bit more about writing it. It's about your best friend.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole first album was written before I even had a project in mind. Um, and so I don't even know what I was doing. I was just, I was super poor, kind of semi homeless some of the time, like staying at friends' houses and stuff and just using whatever equipment was around or whatever. If I could get solitude, I'd be like house sitting for maybe family friends while they were gone or something and uh that song was written during that time so I have no idea I don't even remember I was probably just like you know working on I really liked simple stuff then so that one was just like do there's like a basically a loop that just goes through the whole song and just build layers and add and remove them and I mean that's what that song was and then lyrically it fit really well like the the friend who that song is named after is a really really rare kind of charismatic uh charming person who everyone loves and he's also kind of even though he's like that way he's also kind of solitary and difficult to get time with so everyone's like oh no like wants more time from him and uh so the lyrics it just made sense to name the song after him so because the lyrics kind of are about
0: that is that a song that gets played every night at one of your shows
1: oh yeah probably forever we always have to play that song but i mean it's fine i like playing that song (laughs) yeah
0: so how do you keep present and in the moment when you're playing a song that you literally play every show
1: a lot of the time is this like about engaging with the fans and like just think just try, you know even in my mind just being like thinking about them enjoying this and like um that that's why i'm there so i mean that's what makes it fresh for me is just it really is yeah just the vibe from from the audience so much of our show is about creating an environment that's You know that's nice for the for people who are there to like have fun and just make like a goofy kind of kids' birthday party vibe or something. And uh, so, right
0: now you're on tour, and you said that one of the reasons you don't like being on tour so much, although it's your job, is that it's hard for you to keep in touch with your friends. So I'd love you to tell me about one thing that you're dying to discuss with one of your non-music friends that you can't because you're on tour. uh,
1: That's a good question. Well, I mean, it's just the main thing that I do with my like closer friends and I'm pretty close with the people on tour too. And if I needed to, you know, I could like cry with them or talk about something intense, but it just, usually I would go to closer friends for that. And like, you know, if I, it's always nice to kind of like decompress about my, you know, romantic relationships. And I would rather do that with a close friend who I'm going to see in Portland. So I probably will do that with him. And I have one of my best friends on tour now actually just, uh, He is doing lights for us. We grew up together, like, writing songs together. I kind of learned how to write songs with him. And uh, and he was in different bands, and I went in this direction. And then, you know, he just happens to be free and knows how to do all this stuff. So he's on tour, and it's really nice having him on tour. So if I need that, I can, like, talk to him anytime. But, yeah. So it's... I haven't always had that. I haven't always had someone that close with me on tour, but I've had that the last couple tours, which is nice.
0: So, you guys just released a record called Vault Volume 1, and... Vault Volume 1 is the first installment of a planned three volume set of rare and previously unreleased recordings that up until now have never been heard by anyone other than the band. So tell me a bit about that.
1: I have an old computer that was dying, and there were like 80 something songs that I pulled off there, and I was like, I'll probably never finish these, but some of them are good enough as they are. Like, I think that people will appreciate, like, fans, certain group of fans will appreciate, like, kind of the insight you get into listening to that stuff. It's just like, can kind of hear how i write like hear other songs from those old demos that on other albums and um yeah i mean it's not you know some of them are kind of embarrassing but it's like whatever it doesn't matter if you're like the few people that might like it it's worth putting it out for me um i kind of think there's like two more volumes that will come out this year so we're going to release pretty much all 80 songs i think so um but yeah so it's, it's totally different than being doing being no one going nowhere which is like a really like intentional effort and it's like a finished actual album and I put a lot of work into making it sound good and then but also that's another thing is like some people prefer the kind of lo-fi vibe the unfinished vibe which I think that's I mean I do sometimes even so I think that's uh, another nice thing about the vault series versus studio album or whatever you want to call it and that's kind of you know how the the vault series came about it's just you know kind of a crappy old desktop and it was it's dying it's still alive I guess right now I haven't turned it on recently but every time I turn it on it's like getting closer and closer to death I can tell so I just started pulling off all the demos that I found on there that I recorded on that computer and there's like 80 that I pulled off and a lot of them maybe like half of them are songs I'm always been like oh, I'm gonna finish these someday I'm gonna finish these but it's been you know like six to eight years or something I'm most so I'm clearly not gonna finish them and I just was talking to Sean about it the bass player and I was like well maybe we should just put these out as like a collection of you know of unreleased un- or unfinished uh yeah previously unreleased demo type things and i think i don't know the more i thought about it, it's like i think there's like it's not for everybody but i think there's like a group of people who will appreciate this these albums and it's just you know i was just like well if if i if this computer just died or i died and then these never got hurt it would be a shame some of them are nice and it would be better that they're in the world than just dead on a hard drive you know that was i get that
0: i was listening to it earlier today and there are a lot of really short songs on there
1: yeah, yeah absolutely that's I mean they're like they're you know demos I also think that through listening to that for people who are big fans you can kind of see how I write like uh it's not an easy question to be like how do you write a song and then but listening to the album you can kind of see it's like oh he like you can you can hear like themes in the album and you can even hear like there's songs on on the vault series that kind of like there's like a melody or something that became something in another song that's actually on a record or some things like that or lyrics or like a loop and uh yeah i just think it's like a you know nice peep into into that world
0: yeah i find it interesting josh how about you pick one of the tracks from that record for us to play right now so we can get a good eye into
1: what it is you do yeah let me uh let me look at it i don't know what the track list is actually on the first one um trying to remember here i have to i have to look it up oh, no. <laughs> oh yeah here we go that's so weird being in Canada and not having being disconnected from uh, the internet. It sucks. But, uh. Right, see, it's it going. So. Oh, here we know I got it. Let's <laughs> just get it. Um. Oh, basically is a good, a nice one. Yeah. Let's, yeah, also let's start one here. basically.
2: Every day's basically the same now. say okay.
0: the interview show. This is Scott Wood, your host. You just heard basically off Vault Volume 1 by the band STR, FKR, Star Effer, or Star Fucker. And I've got Josh here with me. He just selected this song for us to play and hear because it's helping us understand
1: how he writes songs. Um, I think, well, it's another thing about that, that, uh, that collection of, of demos is, uh, you know, a lot of it wasn't, and the way I write isn't, isn't often like I'm gonna write an album that's like this. I just like mess around and keep doing it, and that's why I like can produce a lot of short, unfinished demos because I'm just like oh, I'll start something and then get tired and move on the next thing. And uh, so I think a lot of those songs and that song definitely wasn't something that I was like this would be a Starfucker song normally. It was just like um, you know I have other, I had other outlets and other like projects that. I thought I would probably put a song like that into like a more of a singer songwritery mellow vibe and I still will probably do those things just someday when I'm not on tour you know so
0: you never know what you're gonna get when you meet a guy in a band and I was not expecting you to be this ball of energy
1: (laughs) yeah yeah well (laughs) it is what it is
0: it is what it is. It definitely is. So I think it's time we play another track. I'm going to play in the end, off the record, Being No One, Going Nowhere. I'd love you to tell me a little bit about this track.
1: Uh, yeah, that, that track was actually written, like, mainly written by Keel, the drummer. It was, like, the only song on the album that I didn't basically just write on my own. And uh, I finished it with him, and I really love that song. It's one of my favorite songs on the album. And... Uh, there was, like, we had been touring for a while, and he would, every time we would get kind of drunk, he'd be like, hey, man, I have this song I think it would be good for Star Park. I'm like, yeah, send it to me, man. Give it, give me. I'm like, you know, I'm trying to finish this album. And then he just wouldn't do it. And then finally he actually did it, and I was like, this is fucking great, man. Let's, like, finish this and uh, and use it on the record. And then the video, which just came out for it. I fucking love the video. Those guys, they're the same group, the same two directors that did uh Open Your Eyes video, and uh, it's, they're totally different. This one was, like, John Waters inspired and they you know is filmed in LA and just they did a really good job it's really genuine and they have like they even like they got the stars of the video to to that are like actual you know look drag queens in in LA and they filmed it at the club where there's like a night there that's really popular and um I don't know they just you know they're really and it came out really good it looks really good they did it on 35 millimeter film which is really cool and stressful like you only get, like, one shot every time, and we had a little cameo. The band had a little cameo in it, so we were had to sit there and not fuck up the video. <clears throat> um, but, yeah, I thought they did a really good job. I love those directors, and I love... And even that's really cool. Like that, One of the directors, Chris, when he was in school, when we very first started touring, he was too young to even get into our show, but he just came, and we met him outside the venue and talked to him, and he made a video for one of our songs just you know, like a fan video, basically. But it was really good, and so we kept in touch over the years, and then, you know, now he lives in L.A., and he says so this is his third video that he's done for us, basically. But, um, he's, yeah, he's a really talented director, and I'm, that's, that video is probably now my favorite, actually, the in the end video. So.
0: so, hold on, I want to hear more about this, where your drummer gave you a song, and you worked on this together.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that, you know, we've tried, we try that sometimes, and, like, there was, the band is it's kind of it's a it's it's basically a solo project it started as my solo project, and then it kind of like the way that we run it is democratic and like even if I have all the songs like Sean will help me pick the songs and tell me which songs to not use and um Keel will play on stuff and uh it's like it's still mostly musically of my thing and then so. But but it's gone like the most democratic it was, I would think, and the most like collaborative there was was in Miracle Mile, and we had another member at that time, and he um we all kind of tried to write together as much as we could. We all had, like different skills and so we like got a house in Astoria, Oregon, and just stayed there for like three months and just tried to write together. And it was still mostly like I would be there alone for a few months and then they would all come for a month or something and um so i don't know i think after that record there was like it was kind of a weird record it was like kind of compromised i thought like i was like okay we tried being really collaborative and i don't think it was like super great i think that should have been two different albums that could have both been better if they we had separated those albums out but um and then so this one i was like i'm basically just gonna go back to doing it mostly myself and and then i did but then that song that keel sent me i thought was really good and uh I don't know i i love I, it's just you know it's i'd love to be collaborative but it's just kind of like it, it works when it works and it doesn't work a lot of the time or something for me it's i'm not i don't know i'm not great at it i suppose but uh but it worked with that song for sure and it worked out really well so
0: as you said it is what it is and i can't think of a better way to end the show than with the track in the end
1: great yeah thank you thanks for having me
0: thank you very much for being on my show now, the interview is over, and I would like to know what snack you're going to have from that snack table.
1: I don't know. Like I said, I'm probably going to try to find a delicious restaurant to go to. I don't like to waste hunger on a green room sandwich, you know? <laughs> but,
0: but what if you need a snack to get you from here to the restaurant?
1: I'd probably just drink some fruit juice. Yeah, maybe another pickle, man. That pickle works for the kids. Josh, I'm in a band called Starfucker, and you're listening to the radio show. Or the interview show, sorry. <laughs> Can we do it again? <laughs> that was great, and I'd love you to do it
0: again. But most of all, what I was disappointed in was the, hey. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, totally. It sounded like I had just gotten <laughs> some big guy with muscles to punch you in the gut. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I so don't have a radio voice. You usually have Keel do this, because his voice sounds really good recorded and talking, but... Um, anyway, hey, I'm Josh from the band called Starfucker, Yeah, you're listening to the interview show.
0: The one thing I have to say, I have to say this, is that your band name, Starfucker, yeah. you've chosen it, you've been doing it for, you know, 10 years now, let's say, mm-hmm. and you're still like a little bit like, oh,
1: I better say that quietly. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a, it was a joke, like this, pro, this pro, you know, project wasn't even, I didn't think it would last a couple months, let alone however many years we've been doing this, so it was born of my own frustration in trying to have a band be successful. So it was like my last ditch, just like, fuck bands, fuck the music industry, fuck all of this. Like, I'm, this is, I'm going to name it something really stupid. And I, there's like something I hated about the music industry is everyone felt like a star fucker. Like I was in other bands and people were like brag about that shit. And I was just like, y'all are so fucking lame and I hate this world. And so it was like, yeah, it was just like a fuck you to it, you know? And then here we are. It's like a joke on me that I played on myself, ultimately. So,
0: so can you say the band name in its entirety? <laughs> Starfucker, but this
1: time, own it. <laughs> hey, this is Josh from the band Starfucker. <laughs> You're listening to the interview show.